While You Were Folding, Episode 2, Mom Mental Health with Brianna Kaup. Hi, I'm Katherine Boucher, and you're listening to While You Were Folding. This show is my weekly excuse to talk about marriage, parenting, faith, friendship, culture, what I'm reading and watching, and whatever else strikes my fancy. Most importantly, it's a great excuse to connect with and learn from like-minded women who are committed to beginning again each day. I won't pretend to be an expert, but I will ask a whole bunch of questions, invite you into the conversation, and encourage you to share what you heard while you were folding. Hello, and welcome back to While You Were Folding. We are recording episode two, and before we go any further, let's go ahead and start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Father of mercy, thank you so much for the opportunity that I had to speak with Brianna today, my good friend who's coming to speak with us about mom mental health. Please release all of us from the stigma that's often associated with mental uh, disease, and please bring health and healing to all of us who may be suffering, especially for our loved ones. Please open our ears to the wisdom you want us to hear on this topic and help us to be open to the resources that we or our loved ones might need to get back to a place of mental health. We pray all these things through your name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, welcome back to While You Were Folding. If this is your first time listening, welcome. Uh, This is episode two of the show. Back in episode one, in case you missed it, I gave a little bit about my backstory and the inspiration for the podcast. So if you missed that one, go ahead and go back and listen to episode one. Today, I'm going to be speaking with my friend Brianna about mom mental health. But before we get to that, I think it's fun on the episodes where I have a guest before I introduce them, just to give you a little weekly recap of what's been going on around here. Since the last time I spoke with you, we celebrated a new year, and when I recorded my podcast with Brianna, it was actually right before Christmas, so I feel all out of whack with what I should share with you, but let's just go ahead and start with celebrating the new year. Uh, Philip, my husband, and I, we like to talk about our New Year's resolutions each year, And I thought it would be fun if we came up with a list of them. And Philip actually has become recently a big fan of Michael Hyatt. Michael Hyatt is a big entrepreneur. He's about branding, social media, image, etc. I still need to learn a lot more about him. Um, (laughs) But he has a new book called something along the lines of Your Best Year Ever, And Philip got a copy and we're going to read it together. And Michael Hyatt came out with all these different categories. There are 10 of them that you're supposed to come up with different resolutions or goals for yourself for the year. And I thought it'd be fun just to go through a couple of the ones that I came up with already. Um, He breaks them into different categories. The first one is intellectual. And some of my intellectual goals are actually related to the podcast. So one of my goals for this year with podcasting is to become a better interviewer. I think I really struggle. I am learning with having 
the ability to have a person ask me a question back (laughs) and not just asking them a bunch of questions because I'm naturally really curious and want to know as much as possible about the other person. And so it kind of caught me off guard when I was doing one of my first interviews and the guest returned a question back to me and I had not even given it any consideration before the fact. So um, with podcasting, I want to work on my interviewing skills. And so I've found a few books and I'm trying to learn more about that. And there is a lot of software that goes along with podcasting. So I have been a total podcasting geek and I have been learning all about the different software like Audacity is the program that I use to record the podcast on. And I record all of the interviews on Skype. So I've been trying to figure out how to maximize the audio quality that we have. And I won't get into all of the silly details that most of you probably don't care about. But those are just two of the different programs that I use. I've had to learn probably a dozen with the whole process with editing and recording and all of those great things. So that's been a lot of fun. Um, So podcasting. That's part of my intellectual development. And then last year for Christmas, one of my presents was to get this wonderful online photography class. My friend, a blogger, Catherine Whitaker, actually recommended it. It's called Schultz Photo School. And the whole idea is that we as parents really want to be able to take high quality pictures of our kids. And the reason behind that is so that the memories, the day-to-day becomes more... Uh, I guess you want to say frame worthy (laughs) because we can all take good pictures now with these digital photos, but I wanted to get one of the big fancy cameras. So Philip was awesome and got me one last year, but I am embarrassed to say I still do not know how to use it beyond using the auto mode, which is so horrible. I know. So I am dedicated to spending at least one hour each week doing this photo school. And then for my last intellectual goal, I found myself a new Bible study that I want to work on by myself this year. A couple of years ago, when we were living in Omaha, I was able to do the Jeff Caven's Great Adventure Bible Study, and I loved it, and I have been craving something like that since then. So I am so excited because a friend of mine recommended, I had no idea he had even completed these, but Scott Hahn... I am his big fangirl. He is brilliant and actually helped to publish the Ignatius Study Bible. And I did not realize that he also, in addition to doing that, came out with individual books of the Bible that he had completed a commentary on, as well as a study guide workbook that goes with it. So I just purchased for myself the Scott Hahn Gospel of Matthew study um, study guide and Bible workbook. So I'm going to be working through the book of Matthew and I'm really excited about that. The other category I thought I'd share with you for today, and then I'll leave it at that for New Year's resolutions is my emotional category. So for my emotional goals, I have a new planner that I am going to be working through. And for part of my morning prayer time, I'm going to journal every day for at least five minutes And having that as part of my prayer time, I know is going to help me to process my emotions and get me grounded for the day. And in addition to journaling, I'm going to chart how my emotions were at the end of each day in that journal. 
And so that'll give me a sense of any patterns that I might see going on month to month. Those of you who might ride the hormone roller coaster might know what I'm talking about. Um, I'll leave it at that. And then goal number two, I am working on allowing myself to feel how I feel without guilt. I'm going to feel the emotions and not feel guilty for feeling angry, for feeling sad, for feeling happy, no matter what the scenario is. I'm going to feel how I feel, acknowledge it, and then move on. Because as my spiritual director tells me, emotions are neutral. And then the next thing is I have a tendency toward anger. And so one of my emotional goals is to realize when I'm getting angry, to stop what I'm doing, and to communicate to whoever I'm talking to. Unfortunately, if I am struggling with anger, I'm usually with Philip or the kids because they are the people who I am most comfortable with and I unleash on with raising my voice or getting really upset. So when I start to feel myself getting upset, I'm going to work on telling the person I'm talking to, I'm feeling really upset right now and I need to take a break and then to stop the conversation and to walk away. So taking breaks when things get too heated. And then my fourth emotional goal is to come up with a concrete plan when I'm feeling angry, something beyond just taking breaks. So Brianna, the guest of today's podcast, if you're listening to this, I'm going to be calling you sometime this week to be talking about our concrete plan for my anger. So stay tuned. Uh, That's it for New Year's goals, things that I wanted to talk about for this week. And then I'm pretty excited about this new planner that I got. And I am not getting paid (laughs) for this promotion. I don't even have it yet to tell you if I like it or not. But it's on its way. It's in the mail. It's from Michael Hyatt as well. It's called the Full Focus Planner. Full Focus Planner. So... I'm pretty excited about that. Um, As far as marriage goes, Philip had this fun idea. I don't even remember where he heard it to come up with 12 months of dates for the year. So since we're kicking off a new year, we thought this would be the perfect time to start this. So the way it works is each of us sits down, comes up with a list of six dates that we ourselves would really like to have happen. So I don't know about you, how your marriage, how your relationship works, but for us, it's been easy now that we're approaching 10 years of marriage. We sometimes get into date night rut where we will say, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Why don't we just go out to dinner? And then we come home and it's 830 (laughs) because the kids are in bed and we're tired because we have four young kids. The oldest one is not quite eight years old and the youngest one. I did the math, by the way, on the last episode, I couldn't come up with how old Dorothy is. She's 21 months. So the youngest is 21 months. We're tired. And so we go to bed pretty early. But yeah, that's pretty much it. We were just going out to dinner and then coming home and watching whatever we're watching on Netflix. So pretty lame. Um, so this whole 12 months of dates things, it forces us to sit down and think about what do I really enjoy doing with my spouse? So I came up with my six ideas. Philip came up with his six ideas. And then I took the odd months of the year and he took the even months of the year. And now each of us is tasked with making sure those six dates that our spouse asked for happen on that assigned month. And we went through the calendar 
we actually did this last night. We went through the calendar and we figured out exactly which date of the month we were going to make sure that date happened. And then we also blocked out on the calendar times that we want to make sure we get together with friends as well, because it's important to us. We want to get together with with our friends and make time for that. But we also want to make sure that we're having one-on-one date time too. In the realm of parenting, we just went back to school today after Christmas vacation, and it was bittersweet, mostly sweet in the beginning because I got to have some nice time at home with Harry, our preschooler who was not at preschool today, and our little Dorothy. And we had a nice morning. We got to go to Women at the Well, the women's ministry group that I lead at our parish. And we went through our calendar and planned out our semester. And we have a lot of great uh, guests coming this semester, which I'm really excited about. And then after getting to see my friends and find out how they're doing, came home, had lunch, and then it was nap time, and I got to record another great interview for the podcast. And by the way, I have so many great interviews that I already have done, and we already have a couple more guests lined up. So I'm really excited to release those interviews with you. Um, but then the kids came home from school, and they were so overly tired. In fact, Walt's teacher told his class today, you all need to go home and get a lot of rest. So I can only imagine what her day was like today at school. And then we also next week are going to start meeting with Jane, our second grader. She's preparing for her first confession. So we have a parent meeting next week up at school. And I'm really excited because this year Jane is in Sister Mary Immaculata's class Sister Mary Immaculata is a Christ the King sister, and she is young and dynamic and has a bunch of really great energy, and the second graders absolutely adore her. And she, I am very excited to report what what I've been told. She has a great vocation story that she shares with the parents every year, and she really just brings the faith to the kids in a way that makes them on fire for it. So I'm really looking forward to that meeting next week. And then unfortunately, in our parish, we had some sad news. Our beloved associate pastor was reassigned to a different parish in a different city. So we had to say farewell to Father Hall, and we will miss him dearly. He helped to bring some of our friends into the church through RCIA. For those of you who aren't familiar, RCIA stands for the Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults. And he just has this way of acknowledging when someone has a concern about the faith. He came and visited our God Teens group several times. I've mentioned that before. God Teens is our high school ministry group that Philip and I helped to lead. Uh, We have a group of high school students that comes to our house every Wednesday night. I'll talk about that more another time. But Father Hall, he just, he really spoke to the youth. And when we had to tell our kids that Father Hall had been reassigned, our son, Walt, the first grader, he said, but mom, Father Hall taught me everything that I know about prayer. And he was so devastated. He burst into tears and was just beside himself. And we are very happy to report that our new associate pastor is also very young, dynamic, on fire for the faith. I believe this is his third year as a priest. 
So we are super blessed to be welcoming Father Gravy to the parish. And in all of this, I'm just reminded that the blessing we have as Catholics, as sad as we are to have to say goodbye to Father Hall, we, we get attached to these priests and they're human and each of them comes with their own personalities and idiosyncrasies. And sometimes you relate with one better than you relate with another. And I haven't actually even gotten to officially meet our new associate pastor, but the great news with all of it is regardless of who the priest is that's serving your parish, maybe you get along great or your personality doesn't really drive jive with one another, but at the end of the day, that priest is still a priest. So for us Catholics, that means that the priest, whether or not you like his homilies, whether or not you like his personal style, the way that he performs the mass, you still are attending mass and it's the same mass and you are receiving the same sacrament in the Eucharist. You still get the same Jesus, no matter who the priest is. So that is our consolation that even though we had to say goodbye to our associate pastor, we have this other great priest who has stepped in and we still get to receive the same sacraments, no matter who it is. So Welcome to St. Joseph's Father Gravy. We're excited to have you and Father Hall, God bless you in your ministry with your new parish in Hastings. And that is pretty much it for my update for this week. So without further ado, let's go ahead and move on to my conversation with Brianna. Brianna Kaup is a licensed mental health practitioner and certified professional counselor. She's been practicing for six years. She has a passion and focus for women's wellness, which includes when a woman is pre or postpartum, mood disorders, life transitions, grief, loss, self-esteem, and stress and anxiety. Brianna is the wife to Greg and mother to two beautiful daughters. She enjoys playing golf, reading books, playing with her girls, and being outside. Brianna and I covered a lot of ground in our conversation. We talked about how Brianna first got interested in the field of mental health, uh, what obstacles women have to achieving mental health today, how you can tell the difference between just a rough patch and what clinical depression looks like, the difference between depression and anxiety, how someone can be a good friend to someone who's suffering, and what specific concrete things we can do for one another when we know that a loved one is going through a tough time. Today's episode is full of a lot of great content, so make sure you listen until the end to find out how you can get in contact with Brianna if you'd like to learn more about mom mental health or just mental health in general. And also make sure to check the show notes online at katherineboucher.com to find out where all of the resources are that I talked about in this episode. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get to my chat with Brianna. Brianna, welcome to the show. I love that you are my first guest tonight because... You and I met for the first time this last summer at St. Joseph's. Was it in, was it over donuts in the social? Oh yeah. (laughs) Yep. I'm pretty sure it was donuts. (laughs) Where all good things begin. Well, why don't we start, why don't we start with you just telling us a little bit about yourself, about your family and how you first came to be interested in the field of mental health. Uh, Sure. Yeah. I moved 
from a small town um, about seven hours away. I came to Lincoln for college, and there I met my husband, Greg. Um, it was his sophomore year and my freshman year, actually. I was about one month in to college. I was a newbie. Um, we had mutual friends, and we would run into each other around campus um, and at parties, but we're, we're just always so focused on other things and people. Um, but my senior year, we got reacquainted, and he asked me out on a date, um, and the rest is history. And it's always so funny to me that I knew my future husband all through college and had absolutely no idea we would get married one day. <laughs> so the, it was freshman year, your freshman year, that you yeah. started dating. Yeah. And then you got married. Well, no, sorry, reverse. No, we just met. Like, we just were like friends of friends all through college. And then it was at, it was my senior year and he had already graduated that we just kind of got reacquainted. Got it. Decided to go out on a date. Um, so literally we were friends of friends all through college. And I just, I, I never once thought he would be my husband. <laughs> <laughs> and yet here you are. Here we are. Yes. Now we have this beautiful, yet messy and chaotic from time to time life with uh, two girls, Adeline, who's five, and Regan, who is almost four. And we also have a golden doodle named Wrigley. Uh, she's our fur baby. <laughs> and she's awesome. Wrigley yes. is a beautiful furry bundle of energy and love. <laughs> That's one way to put it. <laughs> So then how did you get interested in the field of mental health? Well, I actually didn't always picture myself as a mental health therapist, um, but I did know I wanted to be in a helping profession. And I actually thought that meant dentistry. So I came to college and I was pre-dental. I spent a summer as a dental assistant for a family friend who was always so supportive and willing to mentor me the whole way through. And I thought I had it made. Um, and then life happened. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you know those you know those moments um, when you're certain you have it all together, and then God states very obviously that you are not in control every day. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what are those moments? So when I was a sophomore in college, someone very close to me completed a suicide, and it totally blindsided me and turned my world upside down. Mm-hmm. Um, and grief changes us, you know, it changed what I thought was important in my life. And it opened my eyes to the fact that so many of us struggle silently with our daily battles, no matter what they may be. And so after a lot of grieving and discernment, it was then that I decided to go into the mental health profession. And while I knew nothing could bring my loved one back, I felt that God was nudging me toward one of the ways I could give his death meaning and purpose in a good way. Um, and so I got my degree in 2011 and I uh, first started working, doing therapy for a nonprofit, um, doing therapy in the high schools here in Lincoln for about six years. And then I recently discovered a newfound love for private practice. And so as now that you're a wife and mother and you're raising these two beautiful young women and being a wife and mother yourself, you're able to on this side of things personally to see what it is that a woman goes through day in and day out with the mental health obstacles that we all have. What is it that you would say are the biggest obstacles that women face today for mental health? You know, um, I would say there's two 
major ones. Um, the first being social media. Uh, social media because, one, we can become mindlessly addicted to checking our Facebook or Instagram all of the time. And then we're often comparing our lives to others and forgetting that people are typically only posting the absolute best part of life, not the messy day in and day out stuff. So it is easy to wish for a clean house, a tropical vacation, a date with a spouse, whatever it may be. And then we end up feeling really dissatisfied with our own lives. So if I could ask you this personally, Mm -hmm. how do you stop yourself from going there? How do you, do you unfollow those who maybe tempt you toward that comparison or envy bug? Or do you every now and then have to do a social media fast? How do you personally stop yourself from doing that? And maybe what recommendations do you give to your clients who come in and say that they're struggling with the social media being an obstacle to their mental health? Yeah, I think the the biggest part is just knowing your own um, sense of self-control and knowing your own boundaries and your own limits. So for me, it's just taking a fast. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, for example, this is the week before Christmas, and I um, decided today that I was going to fast until after Christmas from social media because I... I just need to focus and be present with my family and, you know, making this time really special. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was just talking with one of my friends the other day, too, who recently also took a social media fast. And she was talking about how much she has noticed her mood improving, like just by not being on Facebook all the time. She said she just feels overall, she just feels better. Um, so she kind of likes that fast thing. (laughs) When I've done that in the past, I've noticed if I remove an app from the phone, for me, it's usually Facebook for whatever reason, Instagram just is not a big temptation for me. I don't scroll mindlessly through it the way I do with Facebook, but I've noticed those times where I do take a fast, my mind is so much clearer. I do not have that fog that I do on those days when I feel like I'm mindlessly opening my phone, going straight to the app and scrolling. And when I have taken that fast, I notice how much more time I actually have during the day to do those day-to-day things that I think I don't have the time for, but I really (laughs) do in all actuality. And I think the social media, on the one hand, I think it's awesome. And obviously, I've just started this podcast and I'm going to rely (laughs) heavily on social media to promote it and share it and gain a community in that way. So I don't think it's all bad. And I think in a lot of ways, especially those of us who are brand new to motherhood or maybe we've recently transitioned to staying at home or we've moved to a new city and we're trying to build up our tribe of people, it's a great way to reach out and try to make those connections and maybe keep in touch with those who are out of town. But when we start relying on it for our primary connection and we don't invest in those in real life relationships, I think that's where the disconnect happens. Mm-hmm. And have you I seen would... a lot of that with your clients? Oh yeah, I would agree completely. And you know, there is connection via social media And then there is observation on social media or wasted time on social media. I think definitely it depends on your intent. So if you're going to log into Facebook to send a message to a friend and say, hey, how are you doing? How are things going? 
that can be a really healthy and beneficial way to utilize your social media, you know, and most people don't feel drained after doing that. I think it's when we sit there, like you were saying, and we just scroll mindlessly through our news feed. And I don't know, I heard somewhere that Facebook actually sets up some sort of algorithm to keep you scrolling. What? (laughs) Yes. I don't know if that's true. Don't quote me on that. I'm here on a podcast stating unknown facts. No, I believe you. (laughs) Unverified facts. But um, yeah, you just get sucked into that and you just keep scrolling. And then all of a sudden it's 20 minutes later or 45 minutes later. And you're like, wait. Hey, where, what have I been doing with my day? So yeah, yeah and can for we, me, I just know myself that I have to just take a complete fast from social media. And I think that's exactly it. You have to know yourself. Like for me, I don't necessarily struggle with the comparison thing. I can look at a picture of a friend going on a trip or an acquaintance that I knew back in high school who went on some awesome date and not feel the envy bug. But I know for some people, if you see a picture of someone's immaculate house, it can Mm -hmm. instantly trigger feelings of, oh, I am such a rotten mom and housekeeper. I am just not up to snuff or whatever. Um, But speaking of really creepy things that happen online, we were talking about (laughs) Rent the Runway a couple weeks ago, I think. Oh, yes. And you and I were just talking about it in conversation. I had never done a Google search for it or anything. And guess what? There was an advertisement for Rent the Runway the next day on all of my social media. Uh Uh-uh. Yeah. So they're listening. That is creepy. Yeah. Okay. Back to (laughs) the topic (laughs) at hand. So so you said that social media was one of the biggest obstacles to mom mental health. What was the second one? Yes. I think the other thing is time Um, and, you know, prioritizing our time and valuing our time. You know, as moms, we are constantly putting others before ourselves. You know, it's the laundry, our kids' homework, activities, meetings, work, um, and then our own needs come last. So even if we have time to think about and determine what our needs even are, they still come last. Um, And it's not easy as moms to take the time out of your day to say, read a book or do a relaxation relaxation exercise or do some other self-care activity, let alone make it to, say, an outside therapy appointment. So what do you have specific concrete ideas for a woman who would come to you saying, yeah, I continually put myself last and I know exactly what I need to do but I don't know how to make it happen. How would a woman who's battling that time issue turn those things around so that her mental health can be in a better place? Um, You know, just some sort of, um, I'm trying to think if someone came into my office and that's what our focus was, or that's what we were working on. uh, We we might do a, um, learning about our own personal values exercise, because if you are choosing your day-to-day activities based on your values um, or principles, you're going to feel really good about the way that you're spending your day. Um, Otherwise, you know, if you're putting other things before that, then, you know, you're going to feel pretty miserable. Um, 
So that might be one thing. The other thing might just be a pretty concrete, all right, let's make a list and we're going to number it and letter it and shuffle things around. We're going to see what's most important, what can wait. You know, sometimes people just don't have the skills or they don't realize maybe how um, helpful that can be just to put it all down on paper um, and practice that time management piece because time management is a huge, huge component of stress management. Oh, I agree completely. I think when I started staying at home, well, first of all, I had no idea how to keep a home. (laughs) I never learned how to clean. I never had learned how to cook and do all of that. And then I am suddenly at home with our firstborn and it's winter. And I feel like at first I have all of this open-ended time that I should not be struggling at all to get all the things done. But when you say to write down what your values are and you think about how you're actually spending your time, and then all of a sudden you have these different people whose needs are tugging at you in different directions, it feels way more complicated than you ever imagined it would be. Mm, Yeah, it does because it is complicated. I mean, it really is complicated. So for those of us who maybe have struggled with depression or anxiety in the past, I think it would be easier for those of us who have struggled to describe that experience and to go into detail about what it was like. But for those who maybe have never experienced anxiety or depression, let's take depression first, clinical depression. How would you tell the difference, describe the difference for someone between just a rough patch, a bad time, and clinical depression? Well, we all have rough patches from time to time, and it's a pretty common question to wonder, at what point is it something more than a rough patch? Um, There are a couple things to consider, and I think, you know, rough patches, they, they tend to come and go. So, you know, sometimes after a couple hours, sometimes after a day or two, And then things typically feel better. Uh, When it comes to, say, clinical depression, that is when you experience a depressed or highly irritable mood for most of the day, nearly every day, for at least two weeks. Um, And then in addition to that, one who is clinically depressed might experience um, diminished interest or pleasure in activities. They might have weight changes change in eating or sleep habits, whether it be too much or too little, um, loss of energy, diminished ability to think or concentrate, uh, recurrent thoughts about death or suicide. So if you are experiencing this or you know someone who is, the first thing to do is make an appointment to discuss your symptoms with your medical doctor. Or if it is a life or death emergency and you have concerns about safety or suicide, call 911. Uh, go to the nurse emergency room, or you can also call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, and that phone number is 1-800-273-8255, and that is free and available 24 hours a day. Um, But basically, I think when it comes to wondering if you need help, again, like we were talking about before, you know yourself the best, and maybe you don't meet the criteria for clinical depression, 
uh, but you're dissatisfied with how you're feeling, or maybe there's something that is interfering with how you function on a daily basis and you'd like to manage it better, those are great reasons to seek outside help as well. I like your distinction there, and I like the specific numbers and the symptoms that you're describing, because I think, like you said, all of us go through rough patches from time to time. And this time of year, when we're recording this, is a week before Christmas. And so that is the ultimate time of stress. We have these mental to-do lists that feel like they're a mile long and that we have more things to do than we have time to do them. And then we bring in all of the different expectations that are put upon us by ourselves, our spouses, our children, our extended families, travel obligations, shopping, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think it would be easy for that line of, is this just a rough patch or is what I am experiencing right now, clinical depression, that line to become a little bit fuzzy. And so it's helpful to have those guidelines in mind when you're trying to figure out what's going on, both with yourself or with a loved one. I think there's confusion between what depression and anxiety are. I think sometimes people use those terms interchangeably. Mm -hmm. So could you give us some distinctions between depression and anxiety and how to tell the difference between the two? Oh, yeah, Um, because depression and anxiety are friends. (laughs) They like to hang out together, and their similarities can make it so difficult to determine which is which, which I think is obviously why people kind of struggle or lump them together. Um, But, you know, as we talked about depression being sad or irritable mood nearly all day every day for at least two weeks, um, anxiety is more so characterized by excessive worry Um, occurring more days than not for at least six months. So in addition to that, um, one who's experiencing anxiety might feel restless, on edge, be kind of easily fatigued. Um, They might have difficulty concentrating or be irritable. Uh, Muscle tension is another common one, as well as sleep disturbances. So um, with anxiety, though, one will typically experience some type of impairment in like social or occupational environments as well. So um, I know that this is a question kind of down the rabbit trail that we didn't speak about before, but what kinds of things aside from medication would you recommend to someone who's battling depression or anxiety and or both? You know, definitely therapy. Um, you know, just going and talking to a professional who can guide you through some techniques and process through some things with you. Um, but there's also three main factors that influence our mood other than the typical like chemical imbalances or hereditary. Um, so there is a lot out there on, um, sleep and mood correlation So, like, if you're not getting enough sleep, I don't know any of us moms who struggle with that, (laughs) right? (laughs) No, uh, but sleep, yeah. So, sleep is a big one. If you're not getting enough rest, that affects your mood in a negative way. Um, The other thing is nutrition. So, what kinds of things we are putting into our bodies, if we're fueling our bodies with nutrient-dense foods, we're going to feel a lot better, than if we're just caffeinating all the time or um, doing energy drinks or 
giving into those sugar cravings. Um, those really kind of affect our mood in a negative way. And then the other thing is exercise. So um, that doesn't mean you have to like run a marathon, but you can. I mean, that'd be great for you. But just going for a walk, get outside if you can, um, get that vitamin D from the sun. Um, and that really helps with mood too. So there's just so much good information out there on mind body connections. Um, so Google it, it's good stuff. While you're talking, when you were talking about, uh, vitamin D and getting outside and getting enough sun this time of year in Nebraska, obviously it gets freezing cold. And those of us with young children are more inclined more often than not to keep them indoors rather than having to go through the half hour long process of bundling everyone up just to get out the door mm -hmm. for that 10 minute walk. So I know um, in the past I've had some friends who have, is it called phototherapy lamps if they're suffering from seasonal affective disorder? Mm. And I was wondering if you had any experience with that or if you had seen a lot of women who battle seasonal affective. Is it disorder or disease? I don't know the right term uh, for it. I think it's, they use disorder. It's like sad, seasonal yeah. affective disorder. Yeah. Um, but no, I haven't, I don't have a lot of experience with the lamp. I'd be interested to hear more about that actually. Um, but no. Yeah, that's random. That's more for myself. No, <laughs> because that's totally fine. I have noticed a big change in my mood when it comes from the nice warm weather where we're walking to and from school, we're outside all the time to when it gets cold and it's so much more difficult logistically just to get mm -hmm. everyone outdoors. And oh, so yeah. it's not happening as often. And so of course we're not getting as much vitamin D because we're inside all day mm -hmm. and being cooped up and not getting the fresh air definitely has a hit on my mood and on the kids' moods. And so I was wondering if you had any experience with the photo lamp because I've known people in the past that have done that, but... No, I'm going to look it up though. Okay. Let me know what you find out. I will. Thank you. Yes. Um, I have a whole bunch of questions here that I yeah. want to get to. Let's see what else. Um, what if we have a loved one or a friend who is suffering? Maybe they have anxiety or clinical depression. What specific concrete things would you recommend that you can do for that loved one who's battling? Well, the first thing that comes to mind uh, when people are suffering is a lot of times those people feel very alone, you know? I mean, they might have a spouse or someone, you know, kids. They might have people around them, but they just feel very alone. You know, they don't feel a connection. They don't feel like anyone understands what they're going through. Um, they might feel like they're the only one that's going through what they're going through, um, so I just, you know, I recommend voicing your support, you know, saying something like, I am here with you and you don't have to go through this alone, you know, and asking them, asking them, you know, what is it that I can do that would be most helpful to you during this time? Um, you know, and they might know, they might be able to tell you, I would really just appreciate a phone call every once in a while, or I'd really like someone to go to my therapy appointments with me or, you know, whatever it may be. And other times they might not know what they're needing. And so, you know, if that's the case, then just some general ideas might be, 
you know, reaching out frequently via phone call, text, stopping by for a visit, um, inviting them to go out to dinner, see a movie, you know, or do something else that you know they enjoy. Um, You can also kind of offer to take care of the logistics, you know, picking up and dropping off kids at school or um, making them a meal, making the kids a meal, taking the kids for a play date, you know, whatever it might be. Um, And maybe you don't do anything. Maybe all they need is someone to just coexist with them for a period of time, you know, just sit and be present with them in whatever they are feeling and doing, you know, they might just want some company. So, and don't like, don't be afraid to ask the hard questions either. Be very specific and supportive. So ask them, have you felt sad today? Are you having thoughts of suicide? Do you have a plan to end your life? What is causing you to worry today? You know, those are some really clear-cut, very direct questions that are okay to ask someone who's struggling. I love everything that you just said there. First of all, those really specific questions, especially when you're talking about suicidal ideation, when you think you have an inkling that maybe your loved one is thinking about attempting suicide and asking that direct question. Because sometimes that person, maybe they've had those intrusive thoughts thinking about suicide, but it takes that other person asking them for them to be able to admit that to themselves. And you asking that question opens the door for them to be able to open up and say, actually, yes, and it scares me and I need help working through that. And I know that I've had a friend who's been able to open up about that. And I don't know if that person had someone else in their life who was there for them in that way and was able to ask that question. And so that offers them that little release valve in that moment. Absolutely. And there's a common misconception. You know, I get asked this a lot in therapy or just, you know, from general people curious that, you know, they, they ask, they think if they ask that question, that's what plants that seed in someone's mind or that thought in someone's mind. But that's just not true. I mean, it's, it's there. It's already there. They want someone to ask. It gives them permission to talk about it. I agree. I've seen being with my background in education, You heard a lot of the naysayers when you would bring in the guest speakers to talk about Suicide Awareness Week and people talking about their own experience, either with a loved one having completed a suicide or maybe they themselves attempted a suicide and coming in to speak with the students about that. You would get feedback from some of the parents saying, I don't think this is a good idea. You're putting this idea into the kids' heads that this is something that they should do. When in reality, all of the literature I've ever seen on the topic says that the opposite is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I really liked about what you said um, for how to help a loved one is that the things that you suggested were very specific and concrete ways to help. So, for example, when I was battling some postpartum depression after our thirdborn came along and I was four months postpartum and I was definitely in the throes of postpartum depression. I think 
I, one, am naturally pretty introverted. I love people. I love talking to my friends one-on-one, but that's not how I get my energy. It definitely drains me and I need to come down from that. And so being postpartum with or without postpartum depression is a difficult time for me. And then adding postpartum depression on top of that and being an introvert, I think I didn't know how to reach out and I wasn't going to be the one to say, yes, absolutely. Make me a meal or please pick (laughs) up the children or whatever. And I think that that was a real battle for me. And it takes a real special friend to be able to reach into that moment and say, I'm going to pick up the kids from school on Wednesday. I'm going to drop off dinner for you on Thursday at 530 and leave it at that instead of saying, let me know how I can help and having that open-ended offer that the person may or may not take, especially given whatever their natural personality or temperament is, regardless Mm -hmm. of what their mental health state is. Right. It is hard to accept help when someone offers it, let alone ask for help, you know, because we have all these fears or thoughts that, oh, we're a burden to other people, or they're just as busy as I am, or, you know, we come up with all these excuses not to reach out or not to let someone in. Um, and so if someone doesn't even give you the option to say yes or no, yeah. <laughs> um, then that just solves it, you know, but, but there is that relationship there and you do, you know, you have those friendships and, and you know, who, who that person is. So what would you say to someone who maybe has a loved one who is putting up a wall and, you know that that person is really struggling and you want to be there for them and you want to reach out. But for whatever reason, that person is not accepting help and that person is really shutting down communication. What can you do to be a support and help that person, especially if you're concerned about things maybe being an emergency? Yeah, that is concerning. Um, You know, that's one of the indicators that you know, someone might be struggling is if you notice major differences, if they're all of a sudden shutting people out when normally they're very open and welcoming, um, you know, and they're starting to kind of isolate or push other people away. Um, Those are definitely red flags that someone might need a little bit more support. Um, And if you notice that happening, but you feel like maybe they're not responding to your efforts, Um, maybe reach out to the person that's closest to them, you know, so whether it's a spouse or um, maybe, you know, their parents, maybe they're really close with their mom or their dad or a sibling, Um, you know, it just takes one person to build that connection with that person who's struggling to provide them the help and the resources that they need. And so sometimes maybe it's not you that can help them directly, but it's you that can get them connected with whatever or whoever they may need. Jumping to another topic altogether. Um, When you came and spoke with Women at the Well, the women's ministry that we have at St. Joseph's, you talked a little bit about the beautiful triangle from, that was cognitive behavioral therapy, right? 
Right. Okay. So give us a really quick crash course on my favorite part of your talk that you gave to us. You talked about what you called ants. (laughs) Explain (laughs) to everybody what in the world I'm talking about. Yes. So ants. Ants stands for automatic negative thoughts. And we all have them. You have them. I have them. Your husband has them, your parents have them, your coworkers have them, your friends have them. I mean, everyone who's breathing has ants. Um, So basically what these are is they are habits of thinking. And this is uh, research-based, evidence-based. So I'm not just telling you this because I think it's... (laughs) I think it sounds good. Um, I wish I could take credit for it, but I can't. Um, But no, there's been a lot of research on this that says as humans, you know, as we're going through those developmental stages, um, we over time develop these automatic negative thoughts and they are habits of thinking that are ingrained in our brain um, that we don't even realize we're thinking about. And research also shows that we cannot feel on command. Um, so we can't just feel happy. We can't just feel angry. We can't just feel sad. There has to be something that happens before or after. And those things that happen before or after is a thought or an action. So if we're having these automatic negative thoughts that are constantly going through our brain, we're going to feel kind of crummy. You know, we might feel anxious, we might feel sad, we might feel depressed, and not even realize why. So they really are key to our emotional health. So how do we get rid of the ants? (laughs) Yeah, you don't. (laughs) Okay. You don't. (laughs) They're, you know, well, if you think about a habit, um, habits are really hard to break. So we can't just get rid of our ants, you know, and if we're being really honest, our ants will probably always be with us. Um, but the first thing I would suggest is just learning which ones are more problematic for you. There is um, a list of categories of common automatic negative thoughts, which we can post on the um, podcast website after we're yes. done here. I will um, have all of the resources that Brianna shares today on the podcast show notes. So please just go to katherineboucher.com, episode two, and you will find all of the links for the things that we talked about today. Okay, back to ants. So so we'll post a nice list for you. You can read through that list and you'll know, you're like, oh yeah, that sounds familiar. That sounds like me. That definitely sounds like me. So that's the first part of it is just learning what yours are so that instead of letting them be automatic you can actually kind of be aware that they're happening. And then when you notice them happening, you can kind of stop yourself and be like, okay, wait a minute. I need to think about this differently. Um, And by changing and restructuring your thoughts and how you're thinking about a situation, you can improve how you're feeling about it. So what you're telling me is there is nothing wrong with me if I read through this list and I say, yep, yep got that one. I have that automatic negative thought all the time. Yep. This one is definitely me that we all have them and that it makes me completely normal to have them. Right. You are, you are human. Absolutely. 
yeah, we all have them. It's, it's surprising. And I do this exercise with every single person that walks into my office. That is how universal this is to every human being. And I get so many similar responses and everyone that walks out of my office says it was helpful in some way. So can you give us an example of an automatic negative thought that someone might have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like could talk about it all day. <laughs> um, Some so, of us have more ants than others. <laughs> that is true. I'm raising my hand. Oh, yes, me too. Me too. Um, no, I think one that's really common is, especially among moms, are should thoughts. Um, oh. And so a should thought is something like, oh, I should be vacuuming instead of watching my favorite TV show. Or I should be doing all the Christmas um, crafts on Pinterest that I can find with my kids. Lies. Instead all lies. Deleting them, right? <laughs> yes. So other, they're the things that we're like, oh, I should be doing this. And then after we have that thought, we often feel guilt. Mm-hmm. We, you know, because we're not. And then we feel like we're not measuring up. And then we start you know, getting down on ourselves and saying things like, I'm a terrible mom. Um, You know, I should be doing better, those kinds of things. And it just leads to this downward spiral of just not feeling good about ourselves. And it's, it's completely not necessary. These, these habits of thinking, these ants, they're not true. You know, there is no evidence behind them. They are just a thought that was ingrained in our brain from a young age for whatever reason, you know? And I don't know. I think it was, um, William Shakespeare who said, um, I'm going to butcher this quote, but you're good. Go for it. It's a safe space. (laughs) Something about nothing. Um, nothing has meaning, but thinking makes it so. Ooh. And so if you have this, automatic thought, the should thought, and you give it meaning, then it's going to be problematic for you. Mm-hmm. But that meaning isn't going to be accurate. You're a great mom. You know, it's not true that you should be doing all of the crafts on Pinterest. No, it is not true. No, not at all. You know, so what if you've had chicken nuggets or macaroni and cheese for the second night in a row? Amen, amen, amen. Right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Well, what I loved about our conversation when you came and you talked to the moms group at St. Joseph's was you had passed out this handout that had listed all of these different ants, the automatic negative thoughts. And you asked us page by page to go through them and circle the ones that sounded familiar or like they might be ones that we would identify with personally. And it was so awesome to watch these women around this huge conference table saying, oh, yeah. Yeah, I do that all the time. Me too. Me too. And then when you start talking through, the women would open up and share specific examples of ways that they had these exact automatic negative thoughts. And we would say to each other, no, that's ridiculous. And the person would say their story and everyone's irate response to, yeah, just have the chicken nuggets. It's fine. Or (laughs) don't do the stupid Pinterest craft or whatever the case may be. We just are our own worst enemy. And that is so the devil's tool 
we our mind is the devil's playground and he just wants us to be kicked down and think these negative things about ourselves all the time and the fact that they're automatic makes them so much more difficult to combat but when you think about it in this realm of this thought what would my friend what would my best friend say to this thought that i'm having right now and to, i i just ever since that day you came and spoke to us i've tried to envision you and all of the other women around the conference table when i'm having these automatic negative thoughts and thinking what would Brianna say to me right now? What would all those other girls say to me right now when I'm thinking, oh, I should be vacuuming instead of sitting down and reading this book that I'm really enjoying and taking this time for myself? What would my friend say to me right now? My friend would say, yes, enjoy that book. Take a break. Put your feet up for 15 minutes and read a chapter. And the dust will still be waiting for you when you get up, Catherine, and it'll be just fine. Yes, it will be just fine, you know, and what you're, what you're talking about is the other piece of how to change your mood. You know, we were talking about that. um, We can't change our mood on command that there's one of two things that have to happen. And the other thing is what we're doing in that moment. It's an action of some kind, you know? And so um, by reading that book, by putting your feet up for 15 minutes, you're taking care of yourself. You're, you're loving yourself. You're being kind to yourself, um, you know? And then that, in turn, is going to change your mood in that moment for the better. And it's just going to make you that much better of a mom or a wife or a friend, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, on that note, I'd love to hear, since we already kind of touched on this when I talked about phototherapy and getting the lamps in trying to help with the vitamin D, winter is a tough time in general for moms. What general advice do you have for fighting the winter blahs? I, you know, I think it goes back to those three main things that we talked about before, um, sleep, you know, just making sure that you're getting adequate amounts of sleep as best as you possibly can. Uh, I know that's not easy all the time. Um, and then, you know, fueling your body with good nutrition, um, and then getting that exercise, you know, if you can get outside, great. If, if the thought of, putting on snow boots and pants and getting your kids in all their coats and gloves and hats. Oh, that just sounds like a nightmare while I'm talking about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then, then don't, you know, maybe you guys do like a family yoga video on TV or have a dance party, crank up your favorite tunes in the house and um, just dance, you know? Have you yeah. heard of that website, Go Noodle? No. Okay, I'm going to change your life right now. Okay. Go noodle, as in pasta, N-O-O-D-L-E dot com. Get a free account. The kids introduced this to me when Jane, our oldest, was in kindergarten. And it has all of these ridiculous videos that the kids dance to, and they just mirror whatever they're seeing on the screen. <laughs> and it is hysterical. You need to <laughs> invest some t- some time, set up an account, and this is how you're going to survive winter. Oh, that sounds just right up our alley. <laughs> yeah, it's phenomenal. You and the girls and Wrigley would have a ball. Oh, wow. Okay, we will be go noodling. Yeah, is that what you go call noodle. it? Is that a uh, verb? Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, it is now. <laughs> so uh, I imagine a lot of moms are probably rolling their eyes with, ugh, sleep. Yeah, right. I'm a young mom. Mm-hmm. Eating well. Are you kidding? I barely have time to nuke the chicken nuggets <laughs> or yeah, like putting them in the oven is a battle. <laughs> and <laughs> exercise. Or washing the dishes afterwards. Yeah, exercise, get um, real. I can barely handle going to the mailbox mm-hmm. every day, not speaking from experience or anything. Um, so for those who feel like it's insurmountable, what do you just encourage your clients to do the basic manageable baby steps in each yeah. of these small areas? I think you break it down really small you know, very small goals. Um, and keep in mind that every, every moment you have a choice. Okay. Like the thing, the barriers that you're talking about sleep, you know, nutrition and chicken nuggets. Like I can empathize with you. You know, I'm a, I'm a mom too, but at the same time, like you deserve to feel good. You deserve to put yourself first for a moment. You deserve to prioritize yourself. And sometimes that is a simple act of choosing. Okay, in this next 10 minutes, I am going to do jumping jacks. If my kids want to do jumping jacks with me, fine. If they want to scream and fight, I'm going to ignore them because I am going to do these jumping jacks for me. I mean, it is your choice in that moment, whether you're going to give into that barrier, you know, as you were kind of talking about like Satan, he's our enemy. He doesn't want us to succeed, you know? And yes, I do know into that. Yes. (laughs) Are you going to give into that or are you going to choose? Are you going to discover your willpower, which is really hard. You know, I'm not going to say that that's easy and I don't want you to think that I just like want you to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. (laughs) I know it's not that simple, you know, but just make one healthy decision for yourself each day, even if it's small. I think that goes back to what you were saying about how we cannot feel something on command. The whole premise of fake it till you make it, Mm -hmm. which sounds phony, like, oh, I'm being fake if I just plaster a smile to my face. But fake it till you make it, as I understand it, doesn't mean be fake. It means making a conscious decision to try and change how you are feeling in that moment. Exactly. Yep. And so the same could be applied to any of those three areas. Hi, Wrigley. (laughs) Wrigley's just wanted to be on the podcast for you did it girl (laughs) but any of those three areas you can do the (laughs) can we pause for a minute she might need out yeah you're fine I'm so sorry (laughs) you're fine I'll be right back okay (laughs) so what I was saying is I think fake it till you make it you can apply it to any of those three areas that you were talking about Sleep, well, maybe not sleep. <laughs> <laughs> sleep is awfully hard hmm. to fake. Yes. Yes. Um, but nutrition, you can convince yourself that, or maybe, how do I want to put this? <laughs> I was going to say. The struggle is real. The struggle is real. So, so maybe you cannot fake that in the moment, the salad is equally as satisfying as the Mac or whatever. But 
future you will be thankful that you made the choice to have the nutritious salad because you're not going to have the after effects of the Big Mac. You're not going to feel gross and lethargic and disgusting afterward. You're not going to feel like, why did I make that decision? And then have the guilt heaped upon you in addition to it. Same with exercise. Mm-hmm. It's not always going to feel awesome when you're putting on the workout clothes when it's freezing and you would rather stay under the nice comfy blanket. But future you will be thankful that you made the choice to hop on the treadmill, go outside for that 10 minute walk and put that time in for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely future you will be very grateful. And, you know, if you if you choose to have the Big Mac, that's okay too. Yeah. You know, like we all have those moments where we choose to have the Big Mac and and we just have to know there's always an outcome or a consequence for our decisions. You know, we're talking to our kids about this all the time. Like there's consequences for your choices. (laughs) You know, we as adults have consequences for our choices too. And, and the consequence of eating healthy is that your future self will thank you. You know, your future self is going to feel better. You're going to have less doctor bills in the future, you know? And if you eat the Big Mac, you, you know, might not feel good. But if you know that going into it and that's that's worth it to you, that's also fine, you know? We yeah. all eat the Big Mac every once in a while and it's okay, you know? It's just when we're having the Big Mac for every single meal that right. it's probably going to have long-term negative impact. But. Yeah, everything in moderation. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, that was awesome. I um, think it's time for us to end with a fun little closer, keep things a little bit light at the end of the episode. So I pose, I want to know, I'm totally stealing this from Tish Oxenreiter, her show, The Art of Simple. She likes to ask her guests what they're saying no to, what they're saying yes to on different topics. And since when this show releases, we are going to be at the beginning of a new year, I would love to know, what are you saying yes to in 2018? Mm, That's a good one. Um, What am I saying yes to? You know, I think... um, I am saying yes to traveling in the new year. Where are you going? Oh, I don't even know that yet. <laughs> <laughs> I've just said yes, Catherine. Like... I like it. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm jumping way ahead here. No, it's okay. My my husband and I, Greg and I, we always talk about going on a trip, like just the two of us, or you know, doing family vacations of some sort. However, we are pro. We are pros. At coming up with all the reasons why we shouldn't go. Money, time, stress, work, Do you know, the list goes as on. Ends? Oh, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just think the more that we've talked about it, we have recognized that it's really important to the both of us to make time away a priority. Amen. So... 2018 is our year. We're going to make it happen. Oh, I'm so excited. 
I can't wait to hear where you're going to go and when and how I can help make this happen. <laughs> well, stay tuned. Oh, I think that's fantastic. <laughs> well, do, yeah. you, uh, do you have a no for 2018? Something that you're going to say no to? Oh, I feel like I say no all the time. <laughs> but no. Hmm. Do I have a no? Not in particular. I always say no to Play-Doh. <laughs> hey, I like I, I like that one. I don't think that's gonna change. That's not gonna become a yes anytime soon. You know what though? I think that is a solid no. I think yeah. a lot of moms, we all have to find our things that we are just not ever going to be okay with. <laughs> and for some moms, that's Play-Doh, and that's okay. Oh yeah, Play-Doh. Okay, last question. What skill do you want to learn in 2018? Oh, I don't know if it will happen in 2018, um, but I've always wanted to learn knitting. Oh, I can teach you. You can? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I have also Carla um, Erickson Leahy. Yes. Wants to knit as well. So we should probably form a little club. <laughs> oh, I can totally teach you. So I'm sad you that can. I'm sad that I didn't know this until now because what three four months ago I found my bag of knitting stuff and I realized I had not picked it up in a couple of years and so I donated all of it. You did. Oh, yes. that's okay. My my grandma is this. She makes beautiful afghans and scarves and mittens and sweaters like she is always showering us with her beautiful knitting creations ever since we were babies and it's like this realization that you know grandmas aren't around forever Mm -hmm. and who's gonna make this stuff for us when when she's not making it anymore and you know it's something that I, I value and I think is important and um, you know, I want my kids to have that and my grandkids and that's really special. I want to keep it going. So I like yeah. that. I like knitting. I think you would really enjoy it too. It's really therapeutic just to sit down and have something for your hands. They're the original fidget spinners, knitting needles. <laughs> You're just sitting there moving the needles. You'd love it. Oh, that sounds great. My grandma makes it look so effortless and yeah she's she's a pretty phenomenal lady so I love it and it gives you an excuse to spend some time with grandma yes it sure does so win-win does yes well Brianna this has been phenomenal thank you so much for being the very first guest on while you were folding I think you did fabulously well thank you I am honored it was um you know I had it a lot of, um, I don't know. I just enjoyed preparing for this and getting to talk about something that I'm so passionate about and, you know, just hope that something I said reached someone else and it was helpful in some way. And, you know, it just gives me, me hope. So Well, I have no doubt that someone will get some great takeaway messages from this program. Before I let you go, do you have any other closing thoughts? 
Um, no, I just have some favorite resources that I like to use um, with the people that I work with. And so um, if it's okay, I'll just send them to you, Catherine. And if you want to just put them up on your um, website, that would be great. Absolutely. Everyone can find those on katherineboucher.com and look for episode two with Brianna Kaup talking about mom mental health. Well, Brianna, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much for coming on while you were folding. Thanks for having me. It was a good time. Thanks. Have a good night. Talk to you later. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Isn't she great? Now you understand why Brianna is absolutely one of my dearest friends. To find the list of resources and all of the things that we talked about in today's episode, go to katherineboucher.com and look for the show notes for episode two. If you'd like to get in touch with Brianna, you can find her on lincolnwellnessgroup.com or email her at brianna at lincolnwellnessgroup.com. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast. That way you will get the most current episode sent to your iPhone. And if you could also please continue to leave your awesome ratings and reviews in iTunes, that's going to help while you are folding to get in front of as many listeners as possible. And you definitely do not want to miss next week. Next week's episode, I'm going to be talking with my friend Amy Zeleny about prayer life. And she shared so much beautiful wisdom about what her prayer life looks like and how she came to that. So please make sure and give that a listen next week. Also, I am so overwhelmed by the warm response that the show has already received. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen and for sharing it with all of your friends. I hope you continue to enjoy the show. And in the meantime, if you have any questions or some feedback or a suggestion for a guest, please reach out and email me at podcast at Until next time. Don't be afraid to begin again and share what you heard while you were folding.